0: Okay. Listening to brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Thursday morning. Now let's turn to our next guest and topic of today. In the next 15 minutes or so, we're talking about ADHD and its assessments in adults. Now we're going to talk about some of the signs and how is an ADHD assessment made specifically in an adult. And to talk about this, I'm really delighted to be chatting once again to Dr. Andrew Adler, who is a licensed psychologist and the director of the Adler Family Centre here in the city. Welcome back on the program. It's great to see you again this morning.
1: Oh, it's so wonderful to be back, Noreen, in the new year um, and then coming up to another new year. Exactly.
0: And we are live this morning on Facebook. I'd really love for our listeners to join us there. Uh, If you have a comment or if you have any thoughts or if you just want to say hello, feel free to to pop up there. Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3 is the page to go to. Um, Before we talk about the assessment, uh, Dr. Adler, perhaps we can talk about sort of ADHD, what it is and some of the signs. Is it very different from a child? What are some of the signs of ADHD in an adult?
1: That's an excellent question, Noreen. Um, I think it's important to start off with a a more basic definition of ADHD and then look at how it almost always actually differs in adults than in children, or at least the type of ADHD that we typically see in adults and how that's different from the population of children. So ADHD, as most people probably know at this point, stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Sometimes people still call it ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, without the hyperactive part. But based on what the American Psychiatric Association uh, has established as various diagnoses, uh, we use the term ADHD. And I'll tell you about the different subtypes, and then that even name ADD will become clear as I talk about that. So we have two major categories that would make up, or be used to define that disorder. One, which is the main one, for most people at least, would be attention-related problems and issues around focusing and then being able to cope with distractions. So people with ADHD who have more inattentive symptoms would be having difficulties paying attention, let's say, at work or in school, um, let's say, both in terms of their reading or in terms of classroom work or sitting through meetings and be able to focus and pay attention then and being able to deal with the various distractions either externally in the room or in their mind. And part of that also relates to organization. So people typically who have problems with attention also have problems with organization and planning, which I'll talk about a little bit more about later on. So that's one category. The other category is the Hyperactive or maybe a less pejorative word is hyperactivity has a a stigma to it It would be overactivity. I typically use that word a little bit more, but hyperactivity or overactivity, which, as the name says or indicates, would be someone who, who or the quality of being moving around too much, having difficulty sitting still. When we see those two parts together, the attention related problems and then the overactive or hyperactive problems, we would say that it's combined type. Now, when we see mostly the inattentive symptoms is predominantly inattentive type. And then when we see mostly overactive or hyperactivity symptoms, that would be predominantly hyperactive type. What's important here is that we see children who often present with both attention-related problems and hyperactive problems. For reasons which are not entirely clear, by the early teen years, almost always the hyperactive or overactive symptoms tend to drop off. And what we see then left is the uh, inattentive, attention-related symptoms, organizational symptoms as well, and a number of other things which I'll mention later. The issue here is that problems with overactivity or hyperactivity tend to get the most attention from teachers and other people in schools, because those are the kids who really disrupt the class. They get out of their seats. They they're they're flailing their hands around. They're wiggling in their seats. They really often disrupt the class, whereas the inattentive kids often, as we say, fall under the radar. They don't they don't come to teachers attention. Unless they're really struggling academically, and then maybe they might be, those issues might be picked up, but rarely, as it turns out. So unless you are demonstrating, unless you're quite overactive as a child, your inattention, if that's a problem that you have, may very well be missed. And once you get to university, to be quite honest, nobody really cares unless you fail completely or fail to pay tuition. So um, a lot of people go through life, both male and female, having not been diagnosed at a young age because they were not disruptive in the classroom. They were inattentive. they, They didn't pay attention. They were distracted, but they kind of flew under the radar. This is probably more so for women than for men. And this is where I get a lot of referrals from women saying, yeah, I'm interested in someone who's informed about how ADHD presents differently in women. What they're almost always referring to is that, as we know, um, girls, at least before the teenage years, tend to be more well-behaved in the classroom than boys are. So it's the girls tend to, uh, and probably have fewer overactive symptoms. So they're they're actually not it's seen not as having difficulties at a young age. That's right. So they tend to fall even more under the radar than boys who were just in a bit with just inattentive symptoms too.
0: I'd like to pick up on that point where, where you mentioned, I think, uh, yeah, you're right. I think in the nineties or, or before it was more called ADD, you know, as, as you mentioned, attention deficit disorder. And then in recent years, it's now called ADHD, which is, as you mentioned, attention hyperactive disorder, but they're almost two separate things where some people may, may you know have just the attention deficit whereas some people will have the attention deficit and also the overactive or the hyperactive symptoms and yet those are the group that's the group where people focus more on whereas the people with the attention deficit like you said they sort of you know um bumble around through class the teachers are that's right right. so is it almost better to have two separate diagnoses it would be and i'm I I think this is beyond
1: the scope of what we can talk about today. I think there are some um, sort of cultural and social reasons why that terminology. And I I honestly, I don't know the full history of why the American Psychiatric Association um, came up with this term ADHD, which really doesn't make a lot of sense, to be honest. It would make sense to have to really distinguish them as two different categories or two different disorders. Yes. Yes. But um, and that's where it gets confusing. That's probably also why people continue to use the ADD term, which also has been misunderstood over the years. Sometimes people would, in the past would actually think of ADD as more overactive symptoms. So it's it's a bit of a sort of a muddle or a confusing yes. situation when people talk about these things.
0: And one thing that's interesting, Doctor Adler, that you mentioned is that. I know some people say, oh, you, children can grow out of um, ADD or ADHD. And perhaps they don't grow out of it completely. But what it is, is the hyperactive or the overactiveness um, sort of drops down a little bit in their, That's right. in their Actually, teenagers. Quite a bit often. Yeah. And so yeah. it sounds to me that adults often, even if they have this attention deficit disorder, um, maybe they're not as hyperactive then.
1: They're not. They're not. And oftentimes... The attention improves, but some of the related areas, such as organizational problems, which is part of the definition, is having problems with organization and planning, still remain. And there are a number of other related areas, again, beyond the scope of what we can talk about in this relatively short time, but there are other related areas, such as being able to use one's memories to develop effectively to be able to do one's work to take one's short term memory and bring that information into long term memory, that seems to have from research we based at least in part on attention related issues. Also issues of procrastination seem to be related to attention related issues. So there's a lot of other related areas as well.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what does ADHD in adults look like? It's sort of um, some of the signs, maybe like you say, procrastination or, you know, uh, inability to organize um, things, uh, perhaps being a bit messy. Gosh, it sounds like a a lot of adults that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: And that's where it gets complicated. So, yeah, problems. um, It could be sitting through a long meeting that doesn't interest one having to do an administrative task that is utterly boring. So. Tasks that are not really of interest to a person. Um, so it could be procrastination and getting started with some of those tasks. It could be finishing those tasks, be putting in to be motivated enough and committed enough to actually do those tasks, uh, let alone in, in just in terms of quality, but just getting them done is a major issue for people. You're right, Noreen, it's something that we adults, uh, I think, struggle with, or everybody struggles with to some degree. So that's where a good assessment comes in. Oftentimes people um, will point out a lot of the symptoms of ADHD to you or to a person who might actually have it. And that might be a time that one might seek an assessment or if it's struggling at work, for example, and having trouble being able to do the more mundane, less fascinating tasks of one's work, that would be a time to seek out an assessment.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about some of the assessment uh, that's available. If if one suspects they've got ADHD or ADD, what can they do? What sorts of um, assessments a- is available? What can they well, do?
1: Well, there are different levels of assessment. If one wants a very quick assessment, there are plenty of psychiatrists in Hong Kong, as there are elsewhere, I don't want to pick on Hong Kong, but in many places, who will do a very quick five to 10-minute assessment and just based on symptoms alone of, that I've described, right, give a diagnosis of ADHD and very, very quick to prescribe medication. That is generally not an adequate assessment, and I'll tell you why. The symptoms of ADHD also can be found, for example, especially attention related problems and organizational issues can be found in other disorders, such as especially um, depression and anxiety. So a good assessment done by a, a psychologist or he's a children developmental pediatrician, but could be a psychologist who does works with adults or children and or children, would look at not only symptoms of ADHD, who are making a possible diagnosis of ADHD, but also look at other possibilities as well. So what I would actually call it as a psychological assessment and look at Symptoms of ADHD in the context of does it really best fit this disorder of ADHD or is it related more to other kinds of issues?
0: I'm so glad, exactly. I'm so glad you brought up, you know, anxiety and depression because. Even when one experiences a low mood or, or something, you tend to put things off. You tend to maybe procrastinate and not want to clear that to do list. And then it sort of piles up and you feel more anxious about it. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's difficult to distinguish whether one might have sort of anxiety or ADHD or perhaps a bit of both, really. That's,
1: that's right. And this is where a good psychological assessment comes into play. Now, a good psychological assessment would include a fairly long interview with the individual, and if possible, if possible, and if it's something that the individual's comfortable with, a close family member or a partner. Now, ideally, you'd actually wanna bring a parent in because the parent would have information about-
0: Their childhood.
1: Early. Yes, because actually the technical, for te- technically to be diagnosed with ADHD, the symptoms would have had to have been present before age 12. And, you know, we we do have memories going back to you know, probably around age five for most people. But um, parents are probably going to be remembering a little bit more than we might. Now, some people are not comfortable having their parents come in or a partner or anybody else, then that, that's fine. Still can do it without another person. It just helps a little bit more in terms of making the most accurate diagnoses. So we do a, about a two hour long interview. And then we also give questionnaires to see because we want some corroborating information that would support a diagnosis of ADHD or something else.
0: Yeah.
1: And we put the information together and then we come up with a, an understanding of what's going on. We call it a formulation and then a diagnosis and recommendations based on that.
0: And after if somebody, we've, we've got about five minutes left. After we get, say, a diagnosis and, and it's confirmed somebody has ADHD, w- what are some of the treatments available as adults? I mean, in children, we know there's sort of counselling and sort of educational uh-huh. support, um, you know, skills training and, and, and all that. Does that also apply in, in adults? It, it does. It or is does, it no. harder to re-educate an adult and form oh, new boy. habits? Um,
1: as, uh, as adults, we, including myself, are always trying to make changes and it does seem more difficult than, than, than for children. Um, at the same time, You know, I've worked with many adults who have made substantial changes in terms of developing new skills, new ways of thinking, new ways of acting that have actually improved a lot of their functioning. As a general rule of thumb, and this is again based on a lot of research done over many years, the more, the attention related issues, focusing attention, being able to deal with distractions that for most people at least, medication is often the first choice and maybe the most effective. Medications generally, although again, there are exceptions to the rule, generally is less effective in helping people develop better organizational and planning skills, being able to develop their short-term memory, being able to address procrastination. Those are generally best addressed through counseling or psychotherapy. So for most adults that I see, it's a combination of medication prescribed by a thoughtful and considerate psychologist, sorry, psychiatrist, and then counseling or psychotherapy done by a psychologist or by a counselor of another kind to address the issues around organization, short-term memory and procrastination and motivation. So one of the things we, we do is we teach new skills, as you mentioned earlier, around being able to plan and organize better, maybe developing a schedule for each day that's very specific in terms of I mean, even down to the level they wake up in the morning, stand, stand up, go and brush one's teeth, wash one's face. Sometimes people need that. That yeah. kind of real that sort of
0: structure and, and that routine. It really very helps.
1: tight structure. Yes. Also working with a couple of people now, for example, who are Um, have been diagnosed with ADHD who are unemployed and they don't have, they're looking for work, but they don't have structure in the day. These people in particular need to have a very structured day. So we work on that. The other um, areas that we might work on in psychotherapy or counseling would be able to deal with issues of procrastination. So one way we would deal with that is to change one's thoughts. So people who tend to procrastinate also tend to be very down on themselves. This is where you might find with some people with ADHD, there are secondary issues of depression, sometimes reaching a level what we call clinical depression, sometimes more as more at a subclinical level, like some depression because they feel down about themselves not being able to achieve what they think they should be achieving. And procrastination plays a big role in that. So part of it is changing one's thinking. So like, for example, people using something called self-talk, being able to tell oneself, for example, I can do it, or, You know, I have the ability to do it. Being able to tell oneself and almost act as one's own cheerleader.
0: Exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's true. I think the the misconception of procrastination is, oh, that person is lazy. They're not doing their task. But actually, that person's not necessarily being lazy. It's because they have that self-doubt over, say, children, for example, they might not want to do their maths homework because it's not because they're being lazy. They, they're doing up their other homework, but because they think they're not very good at that subject. So they're just putting it off and they have this self-doubt of, of how they, they, they manage that subject.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right. The other thing we do in this, um, when we work with parents, we do this for children, or parents do this for children. We train parents how to do this, but adults can do this too, is to be able to reward oneself for getting started and continuing with a project, especially one that's more mundane or administrative and, you know, reward oneself for doing that. So you set up almost your own reward system. Yeah.
0: That's important to be our own cheerleader. Um, Dr. Adler, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. Uh, we're just coming up to the news now. Remind our listeners once again, how can we find out more about you and your work? Uh, are you on social media?
1: I'm on social media, on Facebook. Um, I need I need to get on Instagram, but I, 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 the same, I think in, in Hong Kong, Facebook still is very popular. Um my daughters would make fun of me for using Facebook. Still, of course, I think it's still very popular here, so they can find me under my name, Andrew Adler, or under the Adler Family Center. You can go to my website. Um, just type in Adler Family Center. It's probably the best thing, and you can read more about me and what kind of work that I do.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, and I look forward to our next chat. Uh, Dr. Same Andrew here. Adler. Thank it's you so been, much. Thank, thank you so much, Noreen. Bye for now. And.